coming up on Golf Today. Justin Thomas sounds off on the USGA and RNA. The former world number one, not a fan of the proposed model local rule that would roll back the ball. You're going to hear why JT thinks the proposal will actually hurt the game of golf going forward. How close is Jordan Spieth to catching a hot streak leading up to Augusta? What's been holding him back this season? There has been one club that he rode to that five-win PGA Tour Player of the Year back in 2015, and that one club has been an issue in 2023. The answer, I, you think JT and Spieth, one day, of course, they're going to join this guy, Lanny Watkins, in the World Golf Hall of Fame. The 21-time PGA Tour winner joins us on golf today. He has some strong opinions on the USGA and RNA and their proposed model local rule that may surprise you. That's all next as the show starts now. Golf today. Thanks for joining us inside our Golf Channel Worldwide headquarters. This is Golf Today. I'm sitting alongside Golf Week columnist Eamon Lynch. I'm George Savarikis. This is a two-hour edition of the show. The USGA and RNA with their big proposal on Tuesday for the model local rule that would roll back the golf ball. Now that we've had a day to digest the news, we've heard so many different reactions around the golf world. I'm curious. Has there been one that surprised you, Eamon? The only one that surprised me so far, we actually heard from in yesterday's show, which is Brandon Matthews, who talked about his desire to see shot shaping reintroduced to the game with, with a rolled back golf ball. And Brandon Matthews is second on the PGA Tour in driving distance behind only Rory McIlroy. And I think there's an expectation that the long ballers are the guys that you expect to be most opposed to this rolled back. Podrick Harrington also had a a fairly outspoken stance on it yesterday as well. said he wanted to see the ball rolled back as well, which kind of surprised me somewhat. He's always something of a contrarian thinker, although he is also something of a traditionalist. He didn't point out it only needs to be rolled back in warm weather, certainly not in an Irish winter. <laughs> it, it was curious, the Brandon Matthews soundbite definitely caught my attention. And part of what's been lost in the game the last 20 to 30 years is how little the ball curves compared to what we used to see in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, players would have to shop shapes, shape shots, pardon me. And Tiger Woods has used one of the spinniest balls on the PGA Tour to still allow him to do that to some degree with his irons. But in the modern game, it's pretty much disappeared. It really has. And, you know, we've got Lanny Watkins coming up later. That's going to be an interesting topic to, to ask Lanny. Is it simply that skills are no longer evident in the game or are skills not being tested? As much in the game certainly the, the farther back you go with some of the hall of famers the the opinions tend to get a little bit more strident the older they get i wonder what the line of demarcation is kind of age-wise on where people fall towards siding with We're the us test today yeah that's that's for sure so if you didn't catch what happened yesterday huge news coming from the usga and rna proposing a model local rule that gives competition organizers the option to require the use of golf balls that are tested under modified launch conditions to address the impact of hitting distance in golf. Model local rule intended for use only in elite competitions, focusing in the men's game, and if adopted, will have no impact on recreational golf. The distance proposal, the USGA and RNA proposing that model local rule, the conforming golf balls under this model local rule must not exceed overall distance standard limit that they've set 317 yards at 127 mile per hour club head speed. It would go into effect January 1st, 2026. The timeline, and this has been a nearly five year project to get to this point between the USGA and RNA kicked off back in 2018. That was the project launched to study the impact of hitting distance in golf. February 2020, the Distance Insights Report released a year later. Specific areas of interest, proposed equipment rule changes issued regarding distance. March of 2022, updated areas of interest released. And then this year, the model local rule proposed for golf balls in elite competitions. You can say it's one of the more underrated weeks on the PGA Tour. Fourth straight week that we're teeing it up in the state of Florida, and we wind down this month with the week-long or month-long road trip around the Sunshine State. And we land at the Valspar Championship, a historic Innisbrook resort in Palm Harbor, Florida. Some of the notables in the field. 
Akshay Batia, now with that special temporary membership on the PGA Tour, returning to the place he made his first PGA Tour start back in 2019. Matt Fitzpatrick, the reigning U.S. Open champ, Justin Rose, already a winner this season. Former world number one, Luke Donald, a past champion in this event, as is Jordan Spieth. Now let's turn our attention to our reporter covering this week's event. Kira K. Dixon is in Palm Harbor, Florida. Kara, you've been getting player reaction the past couple days. What more do you have for us? Well, George, the distance debate is raging out here on the range at the Valspar Championship, and I expect that that will continue to be the case on PGA Tour ranges for months to come. Um, in my conversations with players this week, it's been pretty interesting, a wide variety of responses. You guys were just talking about Brandon Matthews, one, one of the longest hitters on tour, second behind only Rory McIlroy. He was extremely excited about the prospect of these changes, which I think people might find interesting considering his length in the game. Then you had somebody like like Matt Fitzpatrick, who has an extremely uh, measured approach when it comes to this. He's very focused on data and analytics, and he said, you know, I'm just going to need to wait and see. He also said, I don't really think it's that big of a deal, and he just wants to test a proposed golf ball before he makes any sort of decision. But then there are plenty of voices that are frustrated, and one of those voices was Justin Thomas. I was, I mean, I was upset. I, I don't think it's a very good decision. Uh, but then again, I wasn't surprised too much either. It's, it seems like the, the USGA has had some decisions or things in the past that in my eyes are a little self-centered or a little bit selfish in terms of thinking of the bigger picture. And um, I, I think that's the most important thing. I mean, this is a change that would be, be positively impacted for me. I mean, I feel like the ball rolling back uh, would just, my length would be even more of an advantage hitting the ball more solid and controlling your flight distance, everything like that would, I think, give me more of an advantage. But it's about the game of golf. The fact that you and I can go play golf and we can use the exact same golf ball, that's pretty cool. And, and you can't really relate that in other sports. And to me, it's just trying to have a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Um, and it's upsetting, but, you know, I'm hoping that they'll be, I don't know if everybody feels the same way I do. I just know that, from at least how I feel that not everybody is behind it, especially maybe the PGA of America or the PGA Tour. So if we find ourselves in an instance where, the, yeah. you know, the PGA Tour, say, doesn't adopt this local rule and, uh, say, the PGA of America doesn't, so are two of the biggest four events of the year, we're going to have to use a different golf ball. Like, I don't understand how that's good for the game of golf, but um, maybe there's more to it I need to hear. I need to, you know, get my knowledge up a little bit. But, um, yeah, I'm not too thrilled about it. Are you in favor of any sort of rollback to overall equipment, perhaps not bifurcation? Or do you think that there's any need for that in the game of golf? I just think they missed the opportunity, to be honest. I think I don't think they should go backwards because it's, you know, I said in my press conference, it's like anybody that plays golf at an amateur level, which is caught 99% of the golfing world, nobody gets done and said, I'm hitting it so far and so straight that golf just isn't fun anymore. I mean, that's just not real, realistic. And I feel like golf is at the, arguably the best place it's ever been, and, and we don't even have Tiger playing every week. And, and with him playing more, hopefully, um, I just don't see how it's not going to continue to get better. So I personally think they missed the boat of, you know, back when the drivers got bigger and, and I don't know, maybe the Pro V1, that kind of era of when the golf ball went to another level. I'm all for it not going any further. But um, at the end of the day, we're, we're really good. If you give us a softer ball, we're just going to change equipment. We're going to figure out a way to hit it just as far. I mean, if you give me a stick and a blueberry, like I'm going to figure out how I can hit it as far as I possibly can. And that's that's – that's how we are. I mean, athletes are evolving in every single sport. So, uh, you know, why is it a bad thing that we are too? When it comes to the Valspar Championship, last year, Justin Thomas had a tied for third finish. He'll be looking to match that or better that this year. And someone else who would like to find themselves in contention is Jordan Spieth, a former champion here. He hasn't been at Valspar for five years, so he's spending some time refamiliarizing himself with the golf course here. And he also took some time to give us his insights as well. I would say I was a little surprised um, because it seems that when you change the golf ball, what will end up happening is you almost have to change a lot of the clubs in your bag. So if you, if courses potentially save money in long term and not having to renovate as often, 
manufacturers now have to make up for it in a lot of different ways. I guess um, I guess my questions would be why is it just at the professional and elite amateur level and not everyone, given the unification of the sport is something that's so unique and great for golf. Um, but I don't have those answers now, and that those are kind of my questions. So I'm a bit surprised because an easier solution would have seen, I would seem would be to draw the driver CCs back and limit the sweet spots, um, making it to where it's still an advantage to swing hard, but you have to hit the middle of the face. Um, and maybe they'll go that direction. I don't really know. I'm not sure how permanent this is, and uh, but I know normally when the USGA comes out with something like this, they go through with it. So it's an interesting time, and quite a few people are surprised, I think is maybe a nice word to use, but um, I know they're trying to reach out and and make contact and say why they might be doing this at this time. Do you think it would be a weird world if the majors were to adopt it and then the PGA Tour to not? I think it I think it wouldn't be great for the governing bodies as a whole, but at the same time the you know if the if the overall membership of the PGA Tour doesn't want to do it, then it's probably not going to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, yeah, if you then have to create a whole new set um, because if that ball changes, you have to change your driver to make up for it. And if you do that, you got to change your three wood. You got to change your three iron height. I mean, it could trickle all the way down into the irons and even into the wedges. So, it's um, I don't think that would be uh, that's not in their uh, their intention. I hope I know that they hope that everyone takes it over. And if you start seeing it where there's only two majors or the four majors and the rest of it doesn't, it, it could be very complicated and probably pretty frustrating from the fans perspective as well um, which ultimately is the growth of the game has been spectacular over the last four or five years and everyone wants to see it grow and um, I'm not quite sure this is the best way if you start having different things each week. George, I can tell you that there are some very heated discussions happening on the range here. Plenty of strong opinions. Uh, One of the quotes that I hear over and over again in my conversations with players is, we want to be athletes. We're training like athletes. Let us play like athletes. And also the question, why? Why is this happening? So the governing bodies are likely going to have plenty of conversations with players over the next few months to hopefully bridge the gap of that understanding, especially as we get into this comment period. Yeah, you can see the sentiment with current players skewing one direction for sure. We're going to have uh, more with Kira coming up later in the show. You just heard from Justin Thomas and the deaf statesman that is Jordan Spieth. We can see why he was the past chairman of the Players Advisory Council. Uh, your takeaway from what they had to share. Yeah, Spieth's raising some questions that you would expect to our players are going to raise in this in terms of what's the trickle-down effect for them. And we're going to hear a lot of this. It's a divisive issue in this game. And if, in the case of Justin Thomas, if that's his opinion, fine. It bears noting that his opinion reflects, in some cases, word for word, the press release that was issued yesterday by the sponsor on his hat. And that's not unconnected to a lot of the opinions you're going to hear in this game. And that goes on both sides of the fence. There are people who have commercial interests in one side of this affair and on the other side there are people who have an overly rosy view of what golf used to be like and what golf might be like again and presumably there's a happy medium in there somewhere but there's a lot of reflexive uh, talk that just simply doesn't really tick in the full scope of the issue. I mean Kira talked about players saying we're athletes let us be athletes. It's fine no one's stopping players being athletes that's the cause of why people hit the ball very far. The question is what's the effect of it in terms of courses being overrun and the sustainability issue of golf and its footprint. All of those things, the, the cause of the issue isn't really what the, the USGA and the RNA are attempting to address here. It's the effect that they're trying to address and the players just don't seem to have gotten there yet. But you're going to hear this for months. This is the, the release valve period of the discussions for the next few months when all the opinions, heated as they are, get worn out. Part of the disconnect is what the USGA and RNA have enacted as their clubhead testing limits right now. It's 127 miles per hour, 317 yards carry distance. You have pros saying, okay, well, Brandon Hagee leads the PGA Tour in clubhead speed at 126 currently, so you're, you're using as your testing metric an outlier at the 1%. But the USGA and RNA counter saying, well, this is a projection. 
because it's not going into effect till January 1st, 2026. So this is three years down the road. We're already seeing players increase club head speed by leaps and bounds. And this is a decade proposal where we would want to curb or have a rollback from 2026 to 2036. So there are two different lenses. The governing bodies are looking towards a 13-year window basically from now through more or less 2036. The players are looking at it in the moment and saying, okay, this seems like a bit of an extreme overreach yeah. given where we're at currently. It is hard to, to then find a happy medium immediately. I think it's going to take some dialogue on both sides to have a better understanding of, okay, well, what are we trying to achieve here? And then how do we not negatively impact the phenomenal growth the game of golf has had the last three years? And the undercurrent to all of that is whether or not you are currently a competitive golfer or not. And eventually, I think next week when we get a lot more of the top guys who show up at the match play championship, you might hear a greater range of views from the top players on this issue. But Justin Thomas said there he's not sure if everyone feels the same way he does. Well, I'm sure they don't actually feel the same way. Ask Jack Nicklaus, ask Nick Faldo, but ask I, Tiger Woods, ask Podrick Harrington. There are a lot of players who don't feel the same way he does. You're, you're mentioning all players that are either retired, exactly. except for Tiger, who is kind exactly, of count. But, but if, you, if you walk the range of Alspar, But that's the very point, is that they are not motivated by their own competitive or commercial interest right now. And perhaps they are people who can take a slightly broader view. Every, every golfer is influenced to some degree. They all have their own agenda on this. We all do. Of course. But the idea that there is some kind of monolithic thought here on the PGA Tour among players or great players or elite players just isn't true. There is a wider range of opinion than we've heard so far. Well, we're about to get another opinion coming up on the show from a World Golf Hall of Famer. He's not shy Watkins. on opinions either. He's not one to bite his tongue. Uh, our colleague here, of course, you see him on the PGA Tour Champions broadcast. He'll be calling the Hogue Classic this week. Lanny, kind enough to take some time out of his day in Newport Beach, California, and join us on the other side of the short break. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Let's welcome in World Golf Hall of Famer, 21-time PGA Tour winner and 77 PGA champ Lanny Watkins. Lanny. Thanks for setting aside some time to chat with us out in Newport Beach, California. We just heard Charlie Hoffman say bifurcation would be a travesty to this game. Would love to get your thoughts on the proposed model local rule from the USGA and RNA. Oh, well, George, I've always been in favor of bifurcation, and that goes back to the days when we were forced to go to square grooves back in the 70s and 80s. And I think of the golf ball going so far, there are so many things that have affected it. Number one, in my mind, was always the tour losing the lawsuit to Carson Solheim and Ping that we had to go to square grooves. Uh, had you maintained the original V grooves we had way back when, uh, they couldn't have developed the ball to the extent it's, it's at right now. You couldn't control it. So, I mean, number one, we've always had as players to adjust. And by the way, the players back then voted over 80% did not want square grooves. So that kind of thing has been going on for a long time. The other thing nobody ever mentions is the weight of golf shafts. You know, I look at that at their testing thing at 127 miles an hour. Nobody could have swung 127 miles an hour with the shafts we played that weighed 125 to 130 grams. I'm playing a 50 gram driver shaft right now. 
So, I mean, that, things have evolved and changed, but there's so many things that go into this. Uh, I think, you know, as Jack Nicholas is one, you know, has said repeatedly, I think the golf ball is a place you've got to start. Uh, now, if you want to, that's why I think bifurcation works. I think they can do several things that would roll the distance back on tour and essentially keep some of the great golf courses we have in this country, you know, the Firestones, the Rivieras, uh, even Augusta National, keep things in play. That's the way you compare generations is by the golf courses. And if you're not playing similar distances and such, then it's going to be hard to compare those. Danny, does that then make a case that this model local rule in your mind doesn't go far enough? If, if the aim is to suspend hitting distance somewhere around 317 yards at that 127 mile per hour club head speed, is that still too much? It's not really a rollback. It feels more like pushing a pause button than a rollback. It really does to me. I mean, yes, I would, I've always said, and George has been around me enough when we work together that I've, I've advocated for you know heavier shafts on, on the PGA Tour. Maybe the lightest shaft any tour player can play is 115 to 120 grams in anything. Uh, you know, start there. Size of the club head on the driver, smaller, you know, CC, you know, model club head. Uh, you know, there are so many things that you could do to take it back. Uh, I'm not saying that we have to go back to the 70s and early 80s and such, but it would be nice to, to see, you know, back where we could at least compare some. And I, I think it's just gotten dangerously long where it's just pound the ball as far as you can and hit a, a wedge that spins out of high rough and play golf. And that's that's not showing the true talent some of these guys really have. I think the bet, better players, if they went to bifurcation and made it play tougher, the better players would separate themselves more. The Justin Thomases, the Jordan Spieths, uh, you know, the Patrick Canleys, uh, you know, some of these guys would really separate themselves from the other players, uh, much like we had back in the 70s and 80s, if you look at it. Do you think skills, Lanny, are tested less in the modern game because of, of equipment? It's not that the players are less skilled, they're just asked to demonstrate those skills less often? I don't think there's any question, Eamon. I, I, we had to, the first thing you had to do with the soft, spinny ball we played was learn to control the trajectory. Every single shot, you know, you had to look at how where you wanted to flight it to accommodate the wind, uh, the firmness of the green, everything else, the whole locations. Uh, it, it was all involved, and the talented players could hit it any place you wanted with accuracy and curve it both ways and. Uh, even on Champs Tour, I, I see very few players that move it both ways. As much as Steve Stricker has won, you give him a right hole location, he's going to hit a draw 30 feet left of the flag and, and go to his putter. I watch Ernie Ellis play, on the other hand. He's hitting little undercut fades into right hole locations, draws into left hole locations. I love watching somebody that can really work and maneuver the golf ball and control his trajectory. Lanny, completely get the argument of trying to compare eras, and that's kind of the beauty in baseball is that you can go back historically, compare eras there. But if you look at NFL or NBA, it's really hard to go back 20, 30, 40, 50 years because it's a totally different style of play. So to play contrarian here with the PGA Tour, the game of golf, they're coming off record revenue since COVID. If you talk to the average fan, they want to see guys hit it as far as they can on the PGA Tour. Those are the, the jaw-dropping type moments so to then have this type of rollback or, or pause for a lot of people it's why mess with the good thing when golf's riding this high post-covid well george it's not much of a rollback if you think about it. 127 miles an hour club head speed and what 317 yards carry uh that's not much of a rollback uh that's uh looking at somebody still hitting it further than i've ever dreamed of so uh, would I like to have been able to hit it that long? Yes, but uh, as, as it is, you go play with what you got. And uh, I think that's, that's the beauty of this game. Everybody, no matter the skill level, can play uh, whatever equipment you have. You just do the best you can with it. Danny, we just heard Charlie Hoffman <coughs> suggest that things would be better if PGA Tour players were making the decision. And this might be, to he, as he put it, the demise of the governing bodies. Would things be better if PGA Tour players were making the decision? Obviously, things would be better if you were the commissioner, Lanny, but should they be making the decisions more often for the elite game? And do you think the Tour will actually adopt this local rule? 
Eamon, I wish we could have made our own decisions back in late 70s and 80s when square goose came around. We may not be looking at some of this stuff right now. That's why I'm in favor of bifurcation. If you don't do something now, where is it going to eventually end? That's what worries me. And I think at some point in time, you know, as players, you need to take control of it one way or the other and uh, and implement this stuff. And I'm not saying we should make the rules, but <coughs> excuse me. Um, but I, I, I think we we can do what's good for the game and also keep it very, very interesting for the fans. Lanny, I know you've been playing some golf recently. If you could, for the viewers, where you're hitting it now compared to 30, 40 years ago, and then would you say that the sole thing to target or the sole difference would be the golf ball? I don't think there's any question. I mean, granted, I'm playing lighter shaft irons than I ever played, George. I'm down to 100-gram shaft irons. Uh, you know, my lofts are stronger, probably almost a full club or more than they were when I came on tour and when I played. Uh, the ball goes, I mean, I was just at Augusta National last weekend. I hit the same clubs at 6 and 12 that I've always hit. Uh, and those are two of the holes that really play from kind of the same areas. Uh, I drove in a lot of places. I used to drive it back when I was playing. So I'm 73 years old. I, I'm, I'm not going to hit it, you know, that far. But uh, I still get around and enjoy it. So that's kind of where it is. And I, I, the one that it blew me away was watching Riviera this year. Um, I still have the tournament record there from 85, but watching the clubs that they were hitting at Riviera from essentially the same tees that I played from, uh, I look at holes like two and three right off the bat. I, last round, perfect weather. I hit like two iron to two and uh, I think five or six iron to three. And I think they, they're hitting like eight irons to two and they had like 115 yards to three. I mean, that hole was a wonderful par four, but when it's a, you got driver – you know, and gap wedge, it's just not the same. And, you know, it, you go around the course the whole way. It, it's it's amazing to see. Danny, you mentioned being at Augusta National. You came very close there several times to getting yourself a seat at that Champions Dinner next month. But a lot of your friends are going to be there. Do you sense that there's any tension or anticipation on their part for sharing that dinner table with any of the live guys next month? The ones I've talked to, no, Eamon. I, I think they, you know, I think they'll just you know, be above that, if you will. That's probably not the time and the place to have a discussion like that. Um, I, I don't anticipate any animosity at the dinner itself. There may be other things said during the week, but uh, uh, that's a special place and an amazingly special dinner. Uh, I don't see them sullying that in any way with, with that kind of conversation. Well, and speaking of the changes in the game these days between live and distance, obviously the PGA Tour schedule is changing a lot. When you look at these designated events now, do you see that as something you're in favor of or you just wish they were around in your prime? Well, we had some designated events back then, but it wasn't to this extent and the money wasn't that they, we were trying to help uh, the tour and get all the players playing together. They're doing it through money, if you will, which, uh, you know, I wouldn't have minded making a little bit more money would have been nice. But uh, I can see this being a healthy thing for the tour. I, I, I think that... Uh, you know, even it's, it's like out here on Champs Tour, you know, there's some great stories, but essentially we need Hall of Famers and major winners to win. That's what the Champs Tour is all about. Uh, it's also that way on the PGA Tour. I want to I like watching the great players go head to head, uh, the, the players of today. Uh, so to me, that's more fun. I'm, I was delighted to see Scotty Scheffler take down the players last week and, you know, provide us with another really top notch name champion a guy who really knows how to win, and that's what he's proving. Lanny, you've lived in the Dallas area for years, so obviously you're familiar with the name Scheffler growing up as a junior and now the world number one. How much staying power do you think he's going to have in the top spot? I just love the way Scotty plays. I, I think he's got a lot of staying power. I, I, I think I, I, if you want to compare him to Jordan Speed, for example, uh, same kind of short games, if you will. They're both amazing chippers. Pitchers, bunker players, really good putters. Uh, Scotty is longer off the tee and looks like he has more control off the tee. I, I think the control he has with the driver when he's on is amazing. He hit driver on some holes the last round last week. I didn't think he would hit driver. I, he hit it into some really small necks. And a guy that's got the confidence to do that with his driver, uh, he's going to stay around for quite a while. 
I like the fact that Jones is swing too. I, that's I think that's key. Uh, he's not out there thinking golf swing. He's playing golf. Yeah, he swings to swing for sure. Lanny, uh, enjoyed it and very kind of you to cover up that beautiful view behind you of the harbor in Newport Beach. We really appreciate uh, it. The big yachts are sitting right behind me, George. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have the keys to any. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be watching you this week at the Hogue Classic. All right, coming up next on Golf Today, we just talked about Scotty Scheffler and hey, how Jordan Spieth's short game. They have a lot of commonalities. You remember Spieth's first win on the PGA Tour as a teenager. But what about number two, the one that kick-started his PGA Tour Player of the Year season? We're going to look back to 2015 next. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Welcome back to Golf Today. It's the week after the players, and it's drawing some pretty big names over to the Valspar Championship. This week's PGA Tour stop winding down the Florida swing. One of those big names in the field, a past champion and former world number one. For that, let's flash back eight years ago to the spring of 2015. Jordan Spieth in a playoff with Patrick Reed and Sean O'Hare. And that's how he gets it done for his second career PGA Tour victory at that time. That was the springboard for a five-win, two-major season that saw Spieth win PGA Tour Player of the Year. Since that W at the Valspar, 11 PGA Tour victories. He has two majors. There are three majors, pardon me, the 2015 Masters and U.S. Open and, of course, the 2017 Open three-fourths of the way through the career Grand Slam and won the 2015 FedEx Cup. Last week at the Players, Jordan Spieth on the cut line playing his 36th hole. Needs to make par to see the weekend. Flares it right on the par 5 ninth. The best break you're going to see all season on the PGA Tour. One hops off a spectator's knee, carries a penalty area back into the fairway. Look at the replay. I'm going to slow it down for you. Catch another look, building the suspense. Spot shadow. You see the fan there minding his own business. You see the ball. That's a penalty area that dissects where the fan is and the fairway somehow goes airborne and back into the fairway. Just an absurd break that Spieth would go on to capitalize on. This is his third shot to the par five. How about that for the payoff? Makes eagle. Open with rounds of 69 and 75, so he was at even going into Saturday's third round, and Jordan made a serious move. Vintage speed, flexing his short game. This was a pretty round. A Saturday 66. Speed went six deep to play his way into contention. Wound up finishing T19. You look at his recent run of form. Since the WM Phoenix Open has uh, two top 10 finishes, has made three out of his last four cuts with three top 20s in that span. Earlier, Jordan Spieth with the media at the Valspar Championship. I feel good. Um, took yesterday off for the first off day in probably a month. Um, that felt nice. And then uh, just kind of not overworking these couple days and just try and carry on from last week. I just made a couple bad decisions, lost a few strokes with my driver, mainly on just shot shape versus actual misses. Um, and so just trying to get my body right so I feel like I'm, I'm turning the right way and, and kind of back to driving it the way I've, I have been this year. And that's really important around this place. So, um, yeah, feel mentally and physically just fine given the last couple weeks, but obviously uh, quite a bit of a stretch ahead with this week next and then Augusta and Hilton Head. 
Time to head over to the CDW Intelligence Center and go beyond the scorecard using ShotLink statistics. Eamon, we just saw the results that Jordan Spieth has had this year. There have been some flashes, haven't had a ton of consistency overall. How would you characterize this season? It's a trend we've been seeing for some years, George. It's as goes the putter, so goes Jordan Spieth. There have been wild fluctuations in his strokes gained ranking in terms of putting on the PGA Tour the last few years. You go back to 2019, he was second. Strokes gained putting on the PGA Tour. Right now, he's 113th. He's been 155th. He's been 33rd. And we can see where he is right now in terms of a strokes gained ranking for the season. And, you know, there's a lot of solid stuff in there as well, particularly around the green, but on the green, it's a bit of an issue and you know these numbers don't always give you a full picture George I mean inside of three feet Spieth's ranked 196th on the PGA Tour he's only missed four putts of the 296 he's had inside that distance that really skews the perception but the telling stat is from 10 to 15 feet that's fertile birdie territory for a lot of these guys he led that category four years ago right now he's 71st it's been this weird inverse relationship where when the putter's been good for Spieth, it seems like the ball striking's fallen off. When the ball striking's risen, the putter seems to have fallen off. But three of the last four years, he's been outside the top 100 strokes game putting. It's wild. And yet he remains the most compelling guy, <laughs> tee to green, and from the neck up in this game, probably. Yeah, he's uh, must-see TV, and that was the CDW Intelligence Center. Coming up, we're merely weeks away from the Augusta National Women's Amateur and last year's runner-up, Latana Stone, will join the show. How is she getting her game ready for Augusta? That is next. This is Golf Today. Latana Stone joins us now on Golf Today. All right, is that chair in the women's golf team locker room or what's the backstory? I borrowed it from the gymnast, actually. Uh, they let me use it. So thanks to them. That's their little throne. And I thought it'd be some cool photos to take on it with the invitation. That is a fitting throne to have. Looking at uh, LSU's team so far this season, you're third in the golf stat rankings. How's it been going so far in Baton Rouge? It's great. I got my first individual win, uh, you know, this season. And it's so special. I got it at the Bahamas and played at Albany, and it was just it was a dream come true, to be honest. Latana, you shared the lead entering the final round of the Augusta National Women's Amateur last year. You'd been in that position before, but was there some kind of extra pressure you felt given the high profile of that event a year ago? It's such a prestigious event. I mean, I really, if it's it sounds weird, I really didn't feel that much pressure. It just... I was just there to have fun and, you know, play golf. And I was there at, you know, one of the best courses in the country and maybe in the world. And, you know, I just, I told myself at the beginning of the week, I was just going to go out there and have fun and play the best that I can. We hear golfers who have a, a defeat say, okay, I can learn from this experience because of X or Y. You were in a great position to win the Augusta National Women's Amateur down the stretch a year ago, ultimately coming up short. Could you explain how that process in any way could help you going forward? It was unfortunate, but I mean, I just have to take it and run like kind of, I guess, kind of take it and, you know, accept that what has happened has happened and everything happens for a reason. And it always comes down to one, like my coach always says, and I can't go back on that tournament and, say, oh, I want to fix this, this, and this from, you know, the rounds that I've played. And you just can't really do that to yourself. It's just not fair. And even though that what's happened has happened, I just kind of have taken it and made it motivation for the rest of the year. When you look back on that week, is it more so with pride at what you accomplished and how well you played or disappointment over the last couple of holes? Or is it a mix of both? It was both. I was disappointed. I'd played so well that whole week and for it to come down to those two holes where, I mean, I just kind of, you know, had a few mistakes. I mean, like I said, I, I felt like I played really well that whole week and it was just those two holes that kind of got me. But I mean, like I said, I can't change anything about it and just like hold my head up and keep my chin up and move on.
There are few greater experiences in life than being a college senior, especially when you're playing on a team like you're enjoying this season with the third-ranked LSU women's golf team. You have three players ranked inside the top 50 for golf stat, four inside the top 100. How competitive are the practices, and how much do you all feed off of each other? Uh, that's funny. I actually just came in from nine holes and we were doing a little bet uh, on the course, the four of us. Uh, we were in a different group than everyone. But, I mean, we're always competitive and we always push each other, which is great. And it's just so motivating because we have such, you know, great girls on this team and we all push each other to do better and be the best that we can be. Obviously, the, a lot of the focus is coming back on the Anwa in a few weeks. But what does your pathway look like? beyond that, Latana, what, what are you targeting during the summer in terms of your direction in golf? Uh, for the summer, I'm going to be playing in, I know the British Am, and I know I'm going to try for the Open Qualifier, and I'm going to play in the Women's Am. So I'm just going to keep playing tournaments and, you know, build my confidence and build my game and, you know, see where that takes me. Well, hey, it's been uh, fun to watch the ride so far. Best of luck coming up at the Augusta National Women's Amateur, of course, with the rest of the season with your LSU Tigers as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So here are some of the candidates for the 2023 Annika Awards presented by Steeple, the award given annually to the Player of the Year in Women's College Golf. Some of the names on that list current number one, according to golf staff, Rose Zhang, the Stanford standout, Ingrid Lindblad, Teammate, Latana Stone, you see with LSU, she's currently inside the top five. Over on the men's side, it is the Haskins Award presented by Stiefel. That's given to the Player of the Year in men's college golf, Ludwig Aberg. The Texas Tech standout has been in that top spot in the Velocity Global Rankings. Michael Thorbjörsson, another Stanford standout as well, won the Western Am couple summers ago remember that amazing run he had at the Travelers Championship last year on the PGA Tour also and as golf today rolls on sticking with that purple power theme remember Sam Burns's college career at LSU he's back in Innisbrook trying to do something only a few players on the PGA Tour have ever done they call it the Tomomansky we're going to hear from him next We've already had one Hall of Famer in today's show. Now we have a couple more, and it's not the two guys at this desk. Retief Goosen will be joining, the two-time major winner. He's defending his title on the PGA Tour Champions this week. And Rondy Barber is here. He just got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But first, he's taking care of business at the Valspar Championship in Tampa, Florida. And right here on Golf Today. Today. Welcome back into Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch alongside George Savarikas. George, we've heard from two different PGA champions today, and they're on either end of the spectrum when it comes to the USGA RNA modified local rule proposal. Lanny Watkins pretty much thinks it doesn't go far enough. Justin Thomas thinks it goes too far. What do you make of this dialogue that we're seeing so far? It seems like the modern player is against any type of change, thinks the game's popularity and how it's played is on the correct trajectory, and that's where it should stay. I, I think you have more either established players or guys who have retired who are more into bifurcation, and those are guys who probably experienced more changes over the course of their career. Lanny was bringing up the square groove change uh, in the early 80s, where and then he, he remembers playing a different ball at the Open compared to the larger size ball that you would play over in the U.S. So I, I haven't necessarily heard an opinion aside from Brandon Matthews that surprised me a bit, given he's second on the PGA Tour and driving distance said he was for a rollback. Seems like most of the guys on tour, I'd expect them to be resistant to change. A lot of the guys who are retired or have moved on, I'm not shocked that they think bifurcation's probably a good solution. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see over the next few months even how it moves from how tour players think about it right now it's very much in the competitive set do we need to do this the game's in a good place does the tour need to do this eventually 
that's, that's going to filter through to the, the politics of the situation as far as the PGA Tour goes. Because we're going to hear a lot about this the week of the Masters. And the voice of Fred Ridley carries a tremendous amount of weight in this. If Fred Ridley suggests that three majors might adopt this modified ball in 2026, then you can assume it's going to be four because the PGA Championship is not going to allow itself to be the outlier with the majors. So then this issue arises, does the PGA Tour start to be seen more or perceived more as an entertainment product versus a competitive product? Is the gap between the plane on which majors are seen and where the Tour is seen start to grow? And I think the Tour would be very wary of that and I think the players themselves would be wary of that. So all of the heat and fire is coming out now, which is probably why this five-month feedback uh, time frame is built into it. But I think the, the views are going to start to modify as people realize what is actually obtainable in this and what are the risks in terms of perception or image of the various bodies involved. All right, moving along with our Kira K. Dixon, who has more on Sam Burns. Kira, the only player to win the Valspar Championship this decade, also shared his thoughts on the proposed model local rule. Yeah, he did. And you mentioned uh, his success here at the Valspar Championship. He's got a chance to do something this week that hasn't been done since Steve Stricker did it at the John Deere Classic from 2009 to 2011. And that's to notch a three-peat. Uh, it's been a goal of his now three years in the making. So he could potentially walk away here a three-time champion at the Valspar. So a lot on his mind with that and with playing his game, of course, but a lot on his mind as well when it comes to the debate that we've been having on the rollback of the ball in early Earlier today, he shared his opinions with me. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's silly, in my opinion. Um, I think, you know, doing this for a living, uh, our whole lives we've tried to learn and get better at controlling our golf ball, and then, you know, all of a sudden we want to change that. Um, I think, you know, if you look at golf in the last couple of years, it's grown tremendously, and um, at the end of the day, we're we're an entertainment sport, and so. You know, people want to come out here and watch us hit it far, um, and I think there's a skill to that. I don't think that it's unfair advantage for anyone. Um, so I think I, I don't know. I just I don't agree with what it's going to do to our game. I think um, yeah, I, I don't think any guy out here has a problem with the golf ball in its current state. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's uh, I don't think it's great for the game of golf. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's a world where the PGA Tour could be playing one golf ball and possibly some of the other events would require a, a different golf ball? Yeah, I think that's very possible. Um, you know, I also think it's possible that if, you know, we showed up to an event where, you know, let's say this new, quote, golf ball is required, um, if there's a 156-man field and there's 120 of us show up and say, we're going to play our golf ball. Um, I don't know what happens in that situation, um, but it, I have a hard time believing they're going to tell 120 um, players that they can't play. So I think it'd be interesting to see if that scenario happened. So Sam Burns joins the likes of Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas in terms of where he stands on this issue. But I just actually ran to the range and spoke with Kevin Streelman, who said that just even last week in playing, he witnessed some things with his playing partners and those in practice rounds that maybe people are getting very, very strong and that something needs to be done about this. And he added his context when we chatted. Yeah, I'd say as a professional golfer out here, the initial reaction is, don't mess with our equipment and uh, it's something we train very hard to dial our games into our distances to so initially there is a lot of um, a lot of hesitation to hear something like that mm -hmm. honestly the more I've thought about it and I played a few holes with a said long driver on tour last year last week I'm sorry at the players and like seeing some of the clubs he had into some of the greens it was kind of like it might be getting a little bit out of, out of hand too so um, I understand where it's coming from. I just spoke with Scott Langley for a while on the range with USGA, and he's been a good friend of mine. And you know, everything that he said made sense to me. I think um, it's a direction—I don't say easier direction, but a more uh, manageable direction versus changing all the clubs, and then that would roll into the three woods, and that would roll into the five woods, and all of a sudden, 
there's just a lot of moving parts at that at that level. So all of a sudden, if it's just a golf ball, there's going to be some some pain early, especially with the manufacturers trying to get get everything right, especially for all of us who have some high demands in that regard. But um, I think in the long run, it's probably best for the game. Uh, you mentioned that there might be some pain early. Can you just describe what the process would be like for a professional golfer to introduce this into your game when you're used to hitting the ball and seeing a particular ball flight for such a long time? Yeah, we, you know, for us, it's like a window we see a shot come off at, whether that's a lob wedge or whether that's a driver. And, like, I knew immediately on the particular ball I play that I loved one and hated the next one. Like, it just was immediate for me. So... It's, it's the one piece of equipment we use for every shot, every tournament, is our golf ball. And I've used the same pretty similar golf ball since college for nearly 20 years. So it's very, it's like in my bones. You know, it's, a, it's very particular to me. So um, that's just, it's a little scary for us and nerve-wracking for us to all of a sudden say, you can't hit that anymore. We've, we've developed our livelihoods after these specifics. So... Um, like I said, it, I don't really know. I've never met, I never hit the golf ball. I've never tested it to see what it's going to be like. Um, they say it's it's not massive. It's going to be you know a percentage, but see if the fans like it. We'll see uh, how it goes. Well, in some relatable dad moments, Kevin Streelman has been at Disneyland for the last two days. So he admittedly has not spent a lot of time talking to his fellow PGA Tour professionals on where they stand on the issue. You heard him mention there that he did spend some time this morning speaking with a representative from the USGA. And he told me that his mind is open to potential changes when it comes to rolling back the golf ball. Got to fade Streelman this week. The man's got to be exhausted after a couple days at Disney. That's... That's one way to spend some time off from the players to the Valspar Championship. Kira, thanks for uh, getting all those different sound bites, the different vantage points here with the model local rule proposal. Well, a man who knows something about contending at the Masters is coming up, Retief Goosen. He's best known for those two U.S. Open victories, but he had four top three finishes at Augusta National, too. He'll be here right after the break. We can now welcome into the show World Golf Hall of Famer Retief Goosen. Retief, remember chatting with you last year at Hawaii. You were on the mend after that shoulder surgery. Then you won the Hogue. Coming into the Hogue this year, what's the state of your game and health heading into your title defense? Uh, yeah, it's nice to join you guys. Um, yeah, I recovered very well from my shoulder surgery uh, end of last year. Uh, or the year before is now. It's amazing how time flies. But... Uh, yeah, I've unfortunately hurt it again, lifting a suitcase, and uh, I might have to get surgery on it again, maybe by the end of the year, just to tweak it a little bit. But uh, otherwise, the body feels okay. You know, as you get older, every morning you wake up with something new. So uh, hopefully not too many bad things this year for me. I can relate to feeling like that every morning. I'm not sure George, the kid over <laughs> here, can relate to that, Retief. You've had these injuries. You've been on the Champions Tour for four years. You've won, you know, three dozen times around the world, only a couple of times on the senior circuit. Do you attribute that to the to the injuries and this kind of stop-start thing with your health over the last couple of years? Yeah, definitely. I would have liked to have uh, really, you know, be a little bit more competitive out here. But, uh, yeah, the injuries has held me back a little bit. And hopefully this year, you know, I can... I, I'm managing the injuries pretty well at the moment. Uh, I feel like I'm playing better. I'm starting to hit the ball a little better. I played reasonably well uh, a couple of weeks ago in Tucson. But, uh, you know, out there on the Champions Tour, you need to go low. For three rounds, you got to shoot, you know, 18 under to have a chance. And uh, we all know how good the guys are out here and how competitive it is. It's amazing the winning scores. And once you're out there week to week and, and you see these 54-hole shootouts, you, you really can't have an off day. Retief, earlier we had Lanny Watkins join us on Golf Today. He was sharing his thoughts on the model local rule proposal from the USGA and RNA. He was saying he's for bifurcation. Uh, what's your stance on them proposing to roll back the ball in 2026? Well, you know, once you start hitting 50, the ball's coming back anyway. Um, you don't need a golf ball to bring it back. It's just uh, you start losing strength and you're not really hitting the ball that far. Maybe for the senior tour, that can give us maybe balls that go a little further. Um, but uh, I, uh, I honestly uh, uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of these modern golf courses are being built with such a wide fairways and, uh, uh, you know, these really old style, really narrow golf courses seem to disappear. Um, bringing the ball back, you know, yeah, it might change a few things, maybe one club, but I don't really think it's going to make a massive difference. Obviously, if you go the other way, uh, you know, the ball starts going further again. Um, it, it makes the golf courses quite uh, different, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, uh, my sort of career of uh, is done really, and it's just for the for the young guys coming up now, uh, something they're going to have to deal with. Your ball's not coming back that far, Retief, because you're actually a half yard longer now on the Champions Tour than you were <laughs> the last year you won on the PGA Tour in 2009. When you look at all the other changes that are out there, you see around you now with all of these designated events on the PGA Tour, the, the huge increase you've seen in prize money. Is that something you look at as a positive? Do you wish it had been around in your era or do you see that the game's getting a little bit out of skew in any way? Well, you know, I think uh, for all the guys playing on a PGA Tour now, they have to thank the Lift Tour, really. Without the Lift Tour that's come along and really pushed the PGA Tour to another level, they won't be playing for the money they're playing now. I just wish that Jay would have done this maybe when there was talk about the Lift Tour coming along, telling the guys that, you know, listen, we are going to push up the prize money. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. That might have stopped a lot of guys from going to the Lift Tour. Um, it's, a, it's a shame that the two tours doesn't seem to get along at the moment. Uh, it's, it's bad for both tours, really, that you don't see the best players playing in, in all the events. And it's bad for the sponsors, too. So um, hopefully in the future, Jay and uh, Greg can sit down around a table and have a chat and see how we can make this a global game. Ernie L said recently that his relationships with some of his fellow South African players had grown somewhat more distant since they had left for the Live Tour. Is your experience anything similar to that, or have you maintained relationships with the younger South African guys? Yeah, it's been a while since I've uh, spoken to Charles and Louis and, uh, and some of the guys. Uh, you know, there's a young guy on tour now, MJ Dafu, that I've, that I've helped out over the years to get on to the PGA Tour, and he's now his first year on the PGA Tour, so hopefully he does well this season. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all wish that we were young again and we could be playing for the kind of money they're playing now, but it was the same for Jack Nicklaus and them in their day. They wish they could have played for the money when, uh, when me and Ernie were in our prime. But um, it's going to be interesting to see where these two tours go to, and as I say, I hope they... Somewhere along the line, uh, the players will look at this as, a, a, you know, a game-growing opportunity and not necessarily making enemies. Retief, you've talked about where your game is at this season. You have a couple top ten finishes, your last three starts. For those watching the Hogue Classic this week, what's your key at Newport Beach Country Club where, say, middle of your first round, you can tell this is a week where I have it? Well, yeah, yeah. Like I said, my game has really come along. I struggled in Hawaii, but I just came back from South Africa when my dad passed away and I was at a funeral. So it was uh, it was not really a week that I was very much focusing on the game. But uh, lately, my game has felt like it's come along. And Newport Beach is, you know, it's a great old-style golf course. Uh, the last few years, it's played really firm and fast and uh, tricky. And uh, now they're just having this record rain down here. Yeah, the golf course is just... Uh, sopping wet they actually just cancelled the program for today so uh weather looks like it's going to improve for the rest of the week and uh, let's have a great week retief want to send you our condolences for your uh, dad passing and the trip that you had to make back to south africa all the best to you and your family thank you it's right, still to come on golf today it's been a banner year for ronde barber super bowl 37 winner just admitted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, waiting for his enshrinement in Canton later this summer. Now he gets to talk to Eamon and myself coming up. What a thrill. When will the excitement end for Rondi Barber? <laughs> He's the chairman of the Valspar Championship. He'll join us next.
Hello and welcome to the soon-to-be NFL Hall of Famer and Tampa Bay Bucks legend Rondé Barber. Rondé, what's this week like for you at the Valspar? Oh, it's very crazy. I'm going to get a thousand congratulations and uh, whatnot, but uh, it's busy, uh, obviously entertaining our sponsor, making sure Valspar, Sherwin-Williams is uh, are in good shape, um, and just entertaining our fans. We had a, unprecedented ticket sales here late. Uh, we got a really good field, better than we, we thought we were going to have. Uh, I'm looking forward to a great week. Darius Rucker's going to play on the weekend. I uh, hope the rain stays away for that on Saturday, uh, but just staying busy and uh you know, keeping this tournament, um, you know, as lively and fun as, as it always is. Rhonda, you joined us out on the set of Golf Today during the WM Phoenix Open. You were out there recruiting on the range. You were offering players warm milk and cookies to get them to, to Innisbrook for the <laughs> tournament this week. You pretty happy with the field you've assembled, given the challenges where you are on the schedule? Absolutely. We are very aware that uh, to get a lot of these top guys, they're going to have to play three, four, five weeks in a row. I think Sam Burns is going on six or seven weeks right now. So uh, it's a it's a credit to them for doing this for us, because if we're going to put on the event that we expect to put on, we need uh, some of those names. So when Jordan committed and then Justin committed, uh, we really felt like our, our, our field was going to shape up pretty nicely. And then, of course, it did. Tommy Fleetwood came in later. I played with him today in our pro-am. Uh, and then Justin Rose, who won this year, are all here. So we're, we're pretty excited. I think, uh, I think everybody that's coming to watch golf, and there will be plenty that don't come to watch golf. They'll come to party and drink beer on Friday uh, on, on St. Patrick's Day. But the ones that are coming here to watch the top players play, I think they're going to really enjoy the show. Copperhead course looks great right now. It's very modest of you not to mention that your team is actually leading the Pro-Am night, Rondy. <laughs> but you've, you've got a potential celebration tomorrow as well because it's Rondy Barber Appreciation Day at the Valspar Championship tomorrow, yeah. given your induction into the Hall of Fame that's upcoming. When you look back on the career you've had, what are you most appreciative for for the time you had in the NFL? Yeah, you know what? I think mostly that I got to play all 16 of my years here in Tampa. Uh, so the fans, some of which w w that watch me will be out here this week. This is my first real uh, opportunity to get in front of them. Uh, so Tracy West, our tournament director, has a lot of fun things planned. My golf cart is gold with my uh, Hall of Fame number on the front. Um, uh, but we, we have a theme every single day this, this, this week. And uh, uh, it starts off great, I think, with the Ronnie Barber Appreciation Day. She got some surprises for me. I'm not sure what she's, what she's doing for me, but I know I get to address the, uh, the remaining fans after play ends on, uh, on Thursday. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. We got that new rooftop, all my, all my friends, ex-teammates. Uh, uh, they're going to come out to the tournament. We'll be up on our rooftop getting to, uh, getting to enjoy some golf. And then, obviously, my, my little ceremony at the end. <laughs> Not too shabby. Rondé, we were talking the commercial break. You said no. you're a one-and-a-half index. I played a couple years ago <laughs> at Old Memorial with one of your old Bucks teammates, and Derek Brooks, who's an NFL Hall of Famer. What's your origin story of how you got into the game? Yeah, it's actually pretty funny. It's through a football player. There was a guy, uh, his name was Anthony Parker. He was here uh, like in his 10th year when I got drafted by Tampa. And every single Friday after practice, it was a half day, uh, he'd take me to the golf course. I'd start putting and chipping, and then he got me into some full swings, and we'd go play a couple of holes. And then literally the next year, uh, I was addicted. I was just hooked. And you know, that co coincided with Tiger being big in the game at that point. He, you know, 97 was when I graduated college, and uh, I, I wanted to play golf. I'd, obviously, I knew I was good at one thing, but I was see if I could master this game, which I still have not yet done, <laughs> even though I am a one-and-a-half index. Should try having our handicap out there, Rhonda, and see how far it gets you. <laughs> Back when we were in, in Phoenix, you and Tracy West were out there, obviously recruiting. We had a conversation on the range with Damon Hack about the challenges of the PGA Tour schedule. It wasn't sure how the designated events were going to impact Valspar going forward. Yeah. You've now seen the tour kind of lay out the broad strokes of what that schedule will look like. Do you think you're going to be in a p better position in the years to come than you have been in the last couple of years? Yeah, I, I really think we are. I mean, uh, this year is obviously very challenging uh, in terms of player field. Uh, two elevated events, API, and then the players before us, and then a World Golf Championship the week after us. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, we thought it was going to be really tough for us, and apologize for the helicopter going over. It's not mine, I promise. Um, <laughs> but we, <laughs> tell it to wait we, a minute. Uh, yeah, we we just don't know. 
Right. Yeah. Stop. Uh, we we uh, we just don't know. I think there was some uncertainty there, and that was obviously causing us a little, you know, consternation. But at the end of the day, our field is great this year, and I think next year, without having that WGC behind us, uh, it'll give us an opportunity to draw some of those some of those bigger names. Um, we can only be positive and keep our expectations high. Uh, we know one thing, though. We're going to put on a great event. We're going to have a great tournament field whoever comes here uh, and our fans and patrons are gonna have a great time our sponsors love what we do here on the copperhead course and uh, uh, just having good players only enhances that spinning it ahead to august and canton what do you think that weekend's going to be like when yeah. you're officially inducted in the nfl yeah. hall of fame yeah, it's going to be hot. It's always hot in Canton in August. I've been there four times for teammates and uh, Tony Dungy, uh, my coach. But this is my first time actually going into the hall and looking at the bust and realizing that, you know, I'm going to be in there amongst the 371 other other Hall of Famers. It's uh, it's going to be special. I haven't started working on my speech yet. I'm thinking about how I'm going to do it. But uh, at some point, I have to focus after this week is done and, and, and start you know, trying to encapsulate a career. They only give you eight to ten minutes. I don't know if I can do it in, in eight to ten minutes, but I'm going to try. Does he get to give a speech if he wins the Pro-Am at his own time? <laughs> or does that become a little bit of a... Adjust! Adjust! <laughs> I'm going to come back on and give an acceptance speech to you guys. <laughs> Rhonda, enjoyed it. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on.